the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. And a good morning to you. Thanks for joining us on AM 1420, The Answer, seven minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock, and we are underway on a Tuesday edition. It is the 22nd morning of the third month of the year of our Lord, 2022. Got a nice program lined up for you today. Going to be a very interesting one. Peter Kersenow at 10 this morning has got a lot to talk about and a lot of things. He is fired up over the Hunter Biden laptop situation. Very, very concerned uh, over the implications, not just of what was on that laptop, because that would have been more concerning if they had covered it and the media had allowed it to be covered. And if they had acknowledged it back in the uh, uh, weeks before the election in 2020, but now that it is being acknowledged as being authentic, the question is, what is going to happen? What is going to happen? According to multiple reports, the Biden administration is pretty much terrified that there could be indictments of Hunter Biden now. Again, it's too late to stop him, Biden, from taking office. But, uh, oh my goodness, they're concerned about indictments coming for Hunter Biden. And if that were to happen, what else? Well, what else would the fallout be for the Biden administration? Remember, everything that Hunter Biden was into, there's always a cut for the big guy. There was always 10% for the big guy. What could this mean going forward? Peter Kirsten and I will analyze that from a legal perspective, as well as just his uh, his opinion, his very, very um, uh, well-respected opinion. So that's coming up at 1010 today. Before that, in about 25 minutes-ish, we are going to talk with Josh Mandel, Ohio Senate candidate. Uh, he was one of five on the stage last night on the Fox 8 televised debate. It's the first time we've seen one of these things televised. And... Um, it was a pretty good debate. There was a lot of ground covered. There's not a whole, a whole lot of new ground. I think 
largely everybody's positions on the main issues has you know has been presented and ferreted out in other debates in interviews in campaign stops in quotes in the media and so forth i think everybody pretty much knows where everybody is coming from um you know jane timkin's a mom we heard that 1700 times yesterday mike gibbons is not a politician we heard that 1700 times yesterday uh, uh, uh josh mandel is a marine we heard that 1700 times yesterday matt dolan is uh, the only state senator who's uh, actually implemented trump that's his big calling card we heard that a ton of times yesterday and jd vance uh, J.D. Vance just uh, has taken some joy, I think, in poking fun at and uh, taking apart Mandel and Gibbons for the little uh, uh, one-on-one that they had on Friday night. Uh, in fact, he took some shots at Josh Mandel specifically about his military service, not about his service, but about how he uses his service in response to questions. And that's exactly what Mike uh, Gibbons said to us yesterday, too. So Josh Mandel gets his chance to kind of clear the air, set the record straight, talk about what went on on uh, Friday night. And we'll spend a little bit of time on that, but then we'll get into what happened last night and talk about how that debate went. And for you, your part in all of this, you need to tell me, after seeing the televised debate, after considering everything you have learned about the candidates before that televised debate, and not knowing if we're going to even have a primary on May 3rd. That's what makes this tough. It's March 22, and we don't know if there's a primary yet because of the simply incomprehensible, unimaginable incompetence of the Ohio Republican Party by way of Ohio Republican leadership in the State House, the governor's office, and yes, the Chief Justice of the Ohio Supreme Court, all Republicans, and none of them can get out of one another's way and get this district thing done. So we don't even know what's going to happen, if it's going to be on May 3rd, or if we're going to have to watch and listen to this fight carry out for another four months, or, or three months, actually. If it doesn't happen May 3rd, it's going to happen in August. So we'd have another three months of uh, debates and fights, and quite frankly, I talked about this the other day. If this thing is extended any further, into August, talking about having a primary, and the campaigns must war on for that long, the candidates that have the funds uh, are going to have a huge, huge advantage. You know, it's one thing to raise a campaign war chest to fight a fight for the period of time until the normal primary would be. It's another thing now to have to try to stretch those dollars or raise new ones to fight for another three months after that. So that's an impact as well. So we'll get into all of that. We'll get into the Senate Senate race uh, and the debate. The debate from Friday, uh, which, again, turned very, very ugly. It got national attention. The latest to cover it is the Epic Times. Read that yesterday. Uh, they included some of my interview with Mike Gibbons in that article. Uh, and so did a few others. Uh, so did a few other uh, publications uh, and news outlets. Uh, anyway, Mike Gibbons had his say yesterday. We'll talk to Josh Mandel today. And by the way, we're going to talk to J.D. Vance tomorrow. Uh, and we're going to get his thoughts on everything. Again, he wasn't part of the kind of little fracas that happened on Friday night, but he sure took full advantage of it as he chided uh, the two individuals who did. Jane Timken had some fun with that yesterday, too. Jane Timken said that it was childish and that if she was either of their moms, I think she said yesterday in the debate she would send them to the rooms without supper or something to that effect. She would discipline them. Uh, by the way, Mike Gibbons played along with that a little bit when I talked to him yesterday. He told me... Uh, uh, the fact that he was able to restrain himself uh, in the in the chest to chest, nose to nose, face to face, 
kind of a you know showdown with Josh Mandel. Uh, he said his wife told him, maybe you're finally growing up in your 60s because he was able to reta- restrain himself. So we'll ask Josh how he felt about that. Josh, I don't think, feels the same way. Watching him yesterday respond to that at the beginning of the uh, uh, at the beginning of the debate, they give each uh, Josh and uh, Mike uh, thirty seconds just to respond to what happened on Friday and explain what happened. And Josh basically said, "I'm a fighter, and I'm not going to back down from a fight." So uh, I, he doesn't seem to regret too much about that, and said he's going to go to Washington and do the same thing. So that's his um, that's his mantra, and uh, that's what he's that's what he's carrying. We'll ask him to explain it in more depth when he comes on with us at nine thirty five. So Josh Mandela at nine thirty five. We have some more thoughts on that. And then we have uh, uh, Peter Kirsten now coming up at 1010, as we always do. There's going to be plenty of time over the course of three hours for you to be heard at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. So as I started to shout at you a moment ago, what does this mean for you? I want to know if you have made up your mind or if you're still making it up. And has it been shifted? Has it been changed at all? If you're an Ohio Republican and you're voting in this primary, I want to know how you feel about it. And I want to know who your vote is for right now. And is it locked in? Or can it change between now and May 3rd or August or whatever? So uh, by all means, dial those phone numbers. And, of course, don't forget to leave a message. Uh, record your voice. It's very simple, and it's kind of fun. If you want to hear yourself on the radio, record your own message uh, at alwayswrite.us. There's a sound off button in the right hand corner, of the uh, upper right hand corner of the page, and I'm putting a new sound off button underneath all of the prominent articles as well, so that you can sound off on that particular article. And uh, the lead story right now on AlwaysRate.us is round two: gloves on or off. This, of course, was a reference to whether or not this was going to be a little bit more calm and peaceful than the one on Friday was. And then there's a little button underneath it that's, that says "click to record." You click to record. You can watch the video. And then click to record your thoughts on who do you like, uh, who are you picking in this race right now, and is that firm? All right, before we get into the other news of the day, uh, at 9.15, what do you say we rise, patriots? Let's do this, as we do each and every day. Face your flag if you have one. And I love your makeshift flags. Keep those emails coming in so that I can post them all on alwayswrite.us. But face your flag, put your hand on your heart, and join us for our pledge if you are... A left-wing, gasoline price hike happy, Green New Deal supporting, Marxist CRT loving indoctrinator of children, well, then the chances are you don't believe in what this pledge stands for anyway. So you go ahead and take your knee next to your favorite ex-quarterback. For the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands One nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All righty. So those are going to be the interviews that we have today, but there's a couple of other stories that we need to pay attention to this morning. And I'm going to start with just the complete and utter evil of the American left. The Supreme Court story of the day yesterday is the confirmation hearings of Ketanji Brown-Jackson, if you have not been paying attention. Uh, that is the lead story, of course, and there, are, there is and are some stories about that. Um, whether or not Ketanji Brown-Jackson has the right judicial temperament to serve on that court uh, is a le- legitimate question, given some reports of some extraordinarily light sentences to some of the worst uh, offenders I think that you can even imagine in a society. 
and I'm and I'm sorry if I if I if I come down very very harsh on her about this issue. Actually, I'm not sorry. Uh, but I know a lot of people are going to disagree. As a matter of fact, there's a law professor who disagrees. Ohio State University College of Law professor Douglas Berman argued in a post on his blog in defense of Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson for giving out lenient sentences to child predators and purveyors of child porn, children's pornography, which I think, honest to God, I, I'm I'm not overstating this. I'm not being. Uh, I'm not exaggerating. I think child pornographers are every bit as evil as somebody who is a serial killer, because you are literally killing these children. Their lives will never, ever, ever be whole or be the same when they take these children and force them to, to uh, participate in disgusting, lewd sexual acts for the gratification of warped deviants throughout the world. Child pornography is, to me, Satan's playground. And anybody who participates in it, either by producing it, distributing it, Profiting off of it or using it for their personal gratification. I think every one of them, every one of these individuals is is as bad, if not worse, than a serial killer. Because you are serially killing the youth and thus the, the minds and the, the emotions and the ability for these children to ever have normal lives again. I have a little bit of experience in the area of, and it's not personal experience, it's with people that I know in this in this. Uh, field um, with the the psychological damage that is done to children who have been sexually abused. And and this isn't breaking new ground either. I'm not reinventing anything here. But literally, children who have been sexually abused, either by adults or by older kids or by relatives and family members, and you have no idea how common this is. No idea. These children grow up to be completely psychologically warped and oftentimes to repeat to others the things that were done to them. Now multiply that and put it on steroids when somebody is making them do it before a camera and a crew with bright lights being directed and told what to do to another child. These people deserve no mercy. Douglas Berman, the law professor at Ohio State, said that any review of Judge Judge Jackson's child pornography sentencing must include proper context because he said that the federal sentencing guidelines for child pornography are widely recognized as unduly severe. Unduly severe? I would argue that if they're not castrating the individuals responsible for this and hanging them in a public square, then it's not severe enough. I mean, this is literally the torture and mental and emotional destruction of children who become destroyed adults. And there is no debating that. But they're defending Katanji Brown Jackson's sentencing of child pornographers as being uh, 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 more lenient and more sympathetic because uh, most courts believe that the federal guidelines are too severe anyway. I'm just blown away by this. So I'm watching this very, very closely. The Supreme Now, they're not going to be able to stop. They don't have the votes to stop her from getting confirmed. She's going to get confirmed. But I want everybody to know who is joining that court. 
And this, by the way, is fair game for criticism. This is her professional record as a judge. This is her professional record. This is not about did she drink beers when she was in 10th grade, which is what they tried to do to Brett Kavanaugh and tried to find things in somebody's past to destroy him, uh, Neil Gorsuch, Amy Coney Barrett, the three Trump Supreme Court appointees. I'm not trying to do anything about her personally. I'm not even playing up the obvious uh, fact here that Joe Biden was very, very limited in the choices he could make here rather than choosing the very best jurist to sit on that bench for life. It's a lifetime appointment. He was he narrowed it down. If you're white, your qualifications are not considered. You need not apply. If you're male, your qualifications are not considered. You need not apply. And in fact, if you're Asian, if you're Latina, nope, he said it was going to be a black woman, period. He narrowed it down to 6% of the population. And then when you look into the legal field, obviously much, much, much more narrow than that. So I don't care about that right now. The affirmative action nature of his selection here is going to do more to damage, as Peter Kersenau said. It's going to do more to damage her reputation going forward, as she is always going to be known as the uh, you know, historical first black female because Joe Biden promised to make that pick uh, black female, not because she was the most qualified among a field of hundreds of, or thousands of individuals. So I'm watching this very closely to see how this whole thing plays out. But the main story that I started to get to there, and I had to chase that rabbit down the hole, my apologies, is the extreme ghoulish nature of the American left as it pertains to the sickness of uh, Justice Clarence Thomas, who, by the way, of course, just happens to be African-American, but his race won't protect him because he is a conservative-minded constitutional originalist constitutional originalists are going to be savaged by the left no matter what color they are and they're not racists for doing it but if you dare condemn or criticize sonia sotomayor or elena kagan for example you're a, you're a misogynist you're a sexist if you dare to criticize ketanji uh, uh brown jackson you are a racist and a misogynist you hit the double the daily double but if you wish death upon clarence thomas so that Joe Biden can name another pick, you're, you're a special kind of evil. You know what kind of evil that is? Probably the same kind of evil that wishes to give light sentences to child pornographers. It's 924. Always right. AM 1420, The Answer. We'll be back. I think this is the first show in a little while where I didn't open in some way, shape, or form with something on Ukraine. Um, It is a disaster over there. And I'm just going to say this here before the bottom of the hour. Apparently, in some ways, all is not as it may seem in Ukraine. The disaster is the same. The atrocities being committed by the Russians are the same. The complete and utter demolition of the city of Mariupol, that is, that is the same. That is real. Our hearts and our support for the people of Ukraine and for the soldiers of Ukraine, that has not changed either. 
What may have changed to some degree is the understanding of what the government of Ukraine is really all about. Um, Laura Logan has taken a very, very, very deep dive in this, and I watched a video. And Candace Owens, uh, I'm just going to share this with you uh, super quick, because this is, this is quite something. Candace Owens, who of course is a firebrand conservative commentator and pundit, a person that some people want to see be on a presidential ticket, and sooner rather than later, well, Candace Owens has come under fire, as has Tucker Carlson and some others, for suggesting that, you know, maybe Ukraine, at least from the standpoint of the government, not the people and not the soldiers, maybe Ukraine is not exactly as um, uh, innocent or uh, not just not as um, clean and virtuous, perhaps, as we like our victims to be. What I mean by that, of course, is it, when somebody like Vladimir Putin and the Russians bully a, a very, you know, innocent people, a bunch of innocent people, and kill and murder and bomb and destroy them. We want the innocent people and we want the victims to be very virtuous and pure. We don't want to think of them as being corrupt. Well, Candace Owens has been speaking about the corruption of Ukrainian government for some time now. The left has tried to paint her as a Russian propagandist, a a purveyor of Russian uh, state media. So they they contacted her. She tweeted about this and actually gave us the screenshots. We know it's real. They contacted her. The New York Times did and said, hey, we're doing a piece on a story about Russian messaging that includes some of your comments. We note that you advanced the idea that Ukraine was a corrupt country, which matched comments we've seen from Russian state media. Wondering if you have any context or further comment to add. We're finalizing the story today. Candace Owens replied and said, um, Hi, I'm very confused about the email. Hold on, let me pull up her tweet super quick. Yeah, uh, I'm very confused about the email that I received. I learned about the idea of Ukraine being a corrupt country from you, the New York Times. You guys have covered the corruption of Ukraine extensively for years. As just one example, here is a piece from the New York Times editorial board entitled... Ukraine's unyielding corruption. So I educated myself about both the neo-Nazi problem in Ukraine and the unyielding corruption by reading your newspaper, not Russian state media. Is there something specific I said that was different from what from what you guys have written? So this was just one of the most incredible self-owns by the New York Times. We're going to run a piece, and we're going to declare conservatives like Candace Owens, who are not uh, uh, necessarily going along with our narrative about Ukraine now, we're going to tear them a new one. And Candace Owen said, well, here's where I got my... And then she linked five more articles from left-wing sources, including two more from the New York Times, one from The Hill, one from The Daily Beast, and one from The Guardian UK, all arguing about Ukrainian corruption. And none of them were accused of pushing Russian state media narratives. So a little bit of an interesting twist on the Ukraine situation, not on the sadness of the victims and not on the atrocities committed by Vladimir Putin, but on the government of Ukraine, there are questions that are going to have to be answered and discussed, which we will do. But up next, we are not going to discuss that. We're going to discuss the Senate fight. Josh Mandel will join me coming up next to talk about what happened on Friday night and last night in the televised debate. That's next, AM 1420, The Answer.
with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. 936. Good Tuesday to you. Thanks for being with us. Don't forget Kirsten now coming up at 1010 this morning. Very much looking forward to his uh, analysis of Katanji Brown Jackson's uh, first day of confirmation hearings. We're going to get the latest on the Hunter laptop and more from Kirsten Al. But now, I want to welcome uh, back to our program uh, Josh Mandel, who, of course, is a candidate for United States Senate for a good portion of this uh, primary campaign period. Josh was in the lead in this race. Uh, Mike uh, Gibbons has, in recent weeks, overtaken him in most of the polling, if not all of the polling. And, in fact, that's how they squared it yesterday, last night at the end, when they uh, allowed closing state to be made in reverse order. Josh went second to last. Mike Gibbons went last. And uh, Josh and Mike famously had a little, bit of a little bit of a confrontation on Friday night. And he's here to respond to that and the state of the race as he sees it right now. Fresh off of that televised debate last night, Josh Mandel, welcome back to our program. How are you, sir? Hey, Bob. Always uh, good to be on and appreciate everything you do for the cause of liberty. Thank you very much. That's exactly what it's all about. We are all on the same side for that. So, Josh, um, I'm going to ask you about last night's event here in a few minutes, uh, but obviously everyone wants to hear from you directly about what happened on Friday night. Just to refresh everyone who has not heard it, here's the confrontation on stage with Mike Gibbons from Friday night. First of all, Shanghai Shenda and buying, Chinese Petro. Buying a second, right, you may not understand this because you've I never been in the private. No, you don't. I do. You've never been in the I private sector it. in your life. All right, I've worked, sir. Josh, squat, Josh. Yeah, Teachers in Iraq. Don't tell me I haven't worked. Don't tell me I haven't worked. You, you don't know squat. It's okay, right? You don't know squat. Two tours in Iraq. Don't tell me I haven't worked. Back off, buddy. You're gonna you back off. Oh, come on, come on, come on. Never. That'll happen. Sit down. Never. Watch. Yeah. Watch. We'll swear it away with the yeah. wrong dude. No, no, you're dealing with the wrong guy. You watch what happened. You watch what happens. All right, so that was the the bulk of what happened between Josh and uh, Mike Gibbons on Friday in the face-off. Josh, last night at the start of the debate, the moderators on Fox 8 gave you a chance to explain 30 seconds in your words uh, what happened, and this is what you said. I'm a fighter, I'm a Marine, and I'll never back down from a fight. The problem in Washington is that we have all these squishy rhino Republicans. They've taken a knee for the Democrats, and they've taken a knee for the media. And when I go to Washington, I will be the worst nightmare of the radical left and of the squishy rhino Republicans as well. We can't afford to send weak and soft Republicans to Washington. Now is the time for fighters. I will fight like heck to defend you when I'm in the U.S. Senate. All right, and so Mr. that was uh, thirty seconds for yeah, you. That was uh, that was last night at the Fox Eight News start of the debate. So, Josh, you spent the ma- the majority of your thirty seconds talking about what you would do in Washington as a fighter, and we don't need soft, squishy people in Washington. Was that what was that your way of saying that Mike Gibbons would be a soft, squishy person if he is in Washington? Um, and can you give us more of a, of the part about what happened on Friday? Considering again, you spent most of that time just saying that you're a fighter, but but specific to the the altercation with Mike Gibbons, can you can you give me more than than what you gave there? Sure. Well, I, I think Republicans, especially America First patriots and pro-liberty patriots like you and me and others that we know throughout Northeast Ohio and throughout the state, we're sick of deal cutters. We're sick of uh, Republicans who say they're going to fight for the Constitution, say they're going to fight for the America First agenda. And then they get to Washington and they cut deals with Schumer, cut deals with Pelosi, cut deals with Biden, and they cut deals with the Republican Party bosses as well. And so 
Yeah, I mean, I think I see Mike as just a deal cutter, and uh, you know, he's you know, when he gets pulled in that room by the Republican Party bosses, he's going to do whatever they they say, and that's not me, Bob. It's just not me. I'm 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 the opposite of that. You know, when John Kasich was governor, I took Kasich on at every turn. You know, when Kasich was trying to do the Medicaid expansion under Obamacare, I took him on. I said we we shouldn't be facilitating of cult, a culture of dependence on welfare. We're supposed to be facilitating people off of welfare. When Kasich was trying to do the Common Core educational standards, basically federalization of education, I said, heck no, we should put moms and dads in charge of what their kids are learning, not some faceless bureaucrats in Washington. When Kasich was trying to do everything he could to stop the heartbeat bill and actually vetoed the heartbeat bill, I was the first statewide official in Ohio to have the guts and the courage to stand up for the heartbeat bill to stop abortion. And, and so time and time again in Columbus, I took on Kasich, and, and you know the time I took him on when I put the state of Ohio's checkbook online. You know, Kasich didn't want that. He tried to stop it, and I said uh, the taxpayers have a right to know how the tax money is being spent, and I put the entire state of Ohio's checkbook online. And politicians hated it, but I didn't care. Cause, uh, I remember, I remember interviewing, you, interviewing you about that, actually. I had you on in another station that I was on at the time, and uh, we talked about that, and, and I absolutely applauded and supported that. It's a great, it was a great thing to do. I, I, I don't mean to interrupt, uh, Josh, but I want to go back again specifically to Friday just to kind of get, get this behind us and get a clear statement from you like I got from Mike yesterday. Now, I asked Mike Gibbons yesterday if there was any uh, ever any acrimony or animosity between you two before, and he said no. He said he supported your campaign for treasure, and he had always viewed you as a really nice guy until the incident on Friday. What about from your end? Did you ever have any issues with Mike before, any personal animosity or anything like that? No, and I, I still don't. I mean, not, none of it's personal. I think, uh, I will say, I think he definitely married up. I think Diane is awesome, and, uh, you know, his family seems like a great family. And um, so, it's, yeah, none of, none of it's personal. I mean, listen, we're, we're running for the United States Senate. The U.S. Senate is at a 50-50 deadlock. This isn't personal about me or my opponents. Like, this is about the 11.7 million people of Ohio. I mean, this is one of the most important positions in our country. And, you know, the voters, I believe, have a right to know every single piece of background uh, on the candidates. And there's certain parts of Mike's background, you know, where he made a lot of money off of uh, shipping jobs to China and investing in China that I think the voters have a right to know about. And so it, it's not personal. You know, it's a, it's a political campaign. And, you know, the, Josh, did it get did it get did it get personal though? Because I agree with you. Your your question is fair, and 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 allowing him to answer to to that would be fair too. But did it get personal? Let me let me rephrase. What made you so upset when when you took your seat? You know, he had the floor because uh, you know you were standing when you were talking, and then it was his turn, so he got to stand and you sat down. When he took the floor and then responded to you uh, and talked about perfect fit and talked about uh, Shanghai, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Shanghai Shenga Shenda or whatever it was called. I I certainly don't own the stock because I'm not, I can't afford the stock. Uh, but Josh, um, when he started to respond, you sprung back up again, and that's when you walked toward him. What upset you so much that made you spring to your feet and walk toward him? And then, the, of course that devolved into the nose-to-nose, you better back off. No, you back off nonsense. Yeah, I mean, I think you just played the recording. You know, when he says that someone like me, Marine vet who did two tours in Iraq, you know, he said, I, quote, don't know squat. Say, hey, wait a second, Mr. Gibbons. When I was serving uh, in the Marine Corps overseas, putting my life on the line 
for our country. You were back here making millions off of shipping American jobs to China. Like, who do you think you are telling me and veterans all throughout this state and country that they didn't work for a living? And, you know, I don't know if you saw, Bob, but, you know, there was a group of 15 veterans yesterday that, that put out a letter because um, they were so outraged and appalled by, by Mike Gibbons' statement that, you know, where Gibbons essentially said that, you know, veterans, you know, haven't, haven't worked for a living or haven't had a real job. And then Josh, let, let, let me this, jump in there. Let me morning, jump in there. Let me jump in there because I don't play, I don't play that way. Flynn. I don't play that way, and I don't think you should either because we're conservatives and we're liberty lovers and we're believers in doing things the right way, you and me both. That's why we get along. Um, he didn't say veterans. He didn't say all veterans. He didn't say anything of the sort about your veteran status. He said you haven't worked a day in the private sector. He didn't say you haven't worked in your life. Um, and I did see that letter. But let, let's, let's, in fact, let me, I played your opening statement from last night, too. He tried to clarify that, too, in his opening statement. Let me get you to respond to this, Josh. Disagreement over what the private sector is. I think Josh seems to think that it is military service. And by the way, I have a son that's a Navy pilot. Yeah, we just visited him. He was, on, uh, he was leaving for deployment. I have nothing but respect for everybody that serves in the military. My point was that Josh has never been in the private sector. The military is not the private sector. The private sector is what operates in this country and makes the economy we have. So, Josh, tr- try to clarify that for me, if you would, because, again, I, I, we, I did replay it at the beginning, uh, the, the Friday night uh, commentary, and he did say private sector about three times. He didn't say you didn't work or that military veterans don't work. He said you haven't been in the private sector. Can you speak to that? Sure. Well, obviously, veterans all throughout the state of Ohio uh, interpreted it the way that I interpreted it, that he was saying that, you know, veterans haven't had a real job, don't have real work experience. And it's not just veterans all over the state of Ohio. You know, I sent you a video this morning um, where General Michael Flynn took it the same way that I took it and the same way that veterans around, around Ohio. But, but Josh, I'm, you, I don't want to hear about uh, that. Like I want to hear about how you're taking it that way. Again, when those were not his words at all. He never said you never worked. He said you don't know squat because you haven't been in the private sector. Now, you were a veteran. What were your two tours? If you, it was Bob, ended in you know, Orion? Uh, Bob, you know I, I have a ton of respect for you. Yeah, but I think and, you're doing mental. I think you're doing mental gym, gym, mental gymnastics to defend Gibbons. No, and no, no, my, no, 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 Josh, think, Josh, Josh, you, Josh, 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 no, 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 please, please understand. I am doing nothing but but um, verbal gymnastics, if you will, and that's not even what I mean. I'm trying auditory. I'm listening. I'm just listening to his words. That's it. Okay, just listening to his words. His only, his words were, um, Josh, you haven't been in the private sector. So I wanted you to speak to that because he didn't say Marines don't work, veterans don't work. He said you haven't been in the private sector. So I was, you got out uh, your two tours. When was the last one? In in '09 or I'm, I'm trying to remember because you always announce your two tours. Uh, I was uh, in Anbar Province in '04, and then I went back again uh, as part of the surge in '07 and '08. Oh seven oh eight. There you go. I was close. Okay, thank you. Uh, and I'll say what I've always said to you. Thank you for your service. And I say that to every veteran because I absolutely love you guys. Uh, and that will never change. Um, to his point, okay, from 08 to running for Senate and now running for Senate again, um, were you in the private sector? Because that's that's specifically what he said. So I want you to respond to him just the same way I asked him to respond to your points about Chinese investments. Sure. Well, 
Mike obviously knows that I've done work in the private sector because, you know, he's done polling and surveys where they're, you know, getting ready to attack me on some of the things I've done in the private sector, working with a variety of private sector businesses, some of them in the financial services world, some of them in the insurance world, uh, some of them in the energy world. And so, yes, obviously I have, and, and Mike knows that. And so he's either See, that's what I needed to know. That's what, that's what I think voters need to know, too, Josh. We're talking to Josh Mandel, uh, Senate candidate. That's what uh, voters need to hear, too, and that's kind of why I'm bringing you here. I, I wanted to give Mike a chance to defend uh, against your, your points about Chinese investments, and I want to give you a chance to defend against his points about you've never been in the private sector. You're saying you have been. So that's I think that, don't you think that's what voters need to hear to try to clarify all of this, uh, you know, this stuff that came up on Friday night? I think so. I mean, can we play uh, with General Flynn's interpretation of it? Because he's a pretty well-respected guy. You know, I sent that to you this morning. Can we, can we put that on the air? Well, well, I don't need to because I have you. I don't need a spokesman for okay. you. I have you. Well, for- and, and, I think, and I think you did a great job here. Your point is a good one, and that is you have worked in the private sector, and your point uh, is suggesting that uh, you know, uh, war, uh, being at war and being in military service is not working is also well taken. Uh, I, I want every. In fact, let's bring in a third voice here. This is a voice I do want to... Uh, to hear you respond to, because one of your other opponents on that stage, Josh, uh, also was in the Marine Corps, uh, J.D. Vance, who, who really went after you. I want you to respond to, to Vance now. As the only other person who served his country in uniform, uh, I enlisted in the United States Marine Corps. My mammal had six grandchildren, and three of them enlisted in the United States Marine Corps. I think the way you use the U.S. Marine Corps, Josh, is disgraceful. It's not wants to be a U.S. Senator and he's up here, hold me back, hold me back, i got two tours in the Marine Corps, what a joke, answer the question, stop playing around. So Marine to Marine, uh, Josh, this is different obviously than you and Gibbons getting into it now, this is a Marine to a Marine, what do you say back to J.D. Vance? I think J.D. is just getting a little desperate, um, you know, when he wrote his book, you know, I think uh, there was sort of a coronation tour when he wrote his book, but, you know, his campaign has ended up being very different. It's ended up being an apology tour because he just travels the state getting a, getting attacked by voters for being a never-Trumper, and everywhere he goes around the state, just he's forced to apologize, including at the debate last night once again. And so, yeah, I think, you know, J.D.'s not a bad guy, but I think he's just thirsty for oxygen in this race and flailing and desperate, and, I, I, you know, I'm not even going to give him the dignity of a response because I think it's just ridiculous what he's saying. I was actually thinking you would have last night too because I think the rules were, you know, you don't uh, you don't get extra time unless you were personally called out by somebody and I thought he called you out. I thought you were going to jump in and say give me my 15. I want to respond to that. But uh but he is trailing, you know. Uh and I, I think I can see your point. He's he's looking for some some more room and for some more time and uh and and maybe taking a bite out of one of the leaders or front runners was was a way to do that and you weren't biting. So uh and I respect that too. So let me ask you this then about last night. Uh, um, the close of your debate, where you guys were allowed to give closing statements, you didn't spend your time specifically talking about you know the generalities of your campaign and what you're going to do in Washington, except for you used it as a platform to go pro-life. I was at the uh, Bringing America Back to Life event, as you know, I was the MC, and you were incredibly passionate and moving about the abortion issue and about pro-life there, and uh, that's obviously why you did that last night on TV. Can you tell everybody who did not see it or hear it more? Sure. 
Uh, you know, we had an hour debate last night, and I, I was shocked that stopping abortion and our fight to protect the unborn never came up the entire debate. There was not a question about it. None of my opponents brought it up. And so instead of using my closing you know, statement to do a summary of my campaign like everyone else did, I took it as an opportunity to talk about why I am so devoutly pro-life and you know why I will be such a champion for the unborn and the right to life movement in Washington. And you know what I talked about at the lunch you're referencing when you know when when you and I were at the uh, Bringing America Back to Life lunch here in mm-hmm. Independence. You know I talked about the fact that there's a big difference in Columbus or in Washington between friends of the pro life movement and champions. You know a friend is uh, a state rep or state senator or congressman who maybe at the end of the day votes the right way. But you have to twist their arm to get them there. A champion is someone like me, someone like Jim Jordan, someone like Ted Cruz, who every single morning wakes up living and breathing and sleeping and talking and leading on the issue of protecting the unborn and stopping abortion. You know, I believe abortion is murder. Uh, you know, I believe we need to do everything we can to overturn Roe v. Wade. And if we're not going to stop abortion, if we're not going to protect the unborn, protect life, then nothing else matters. And that's why I used my time last night to talk about protecting life from conception to natural death. You know, your your speech last night, or your close rather, Josh, proved it, that you are a champion. Because instead of asking for votes, which is traditionally the end of a debate and a closing statement, you ask people to, to stand for life. And I, I just have extraordinary respect for that. I know a ton. In fact, probably every listener to this radio show and this radio station feels the same way. So I was very, uh, uh, very, very proud of that. Uh, last thing, you know, when the TV came on last night, it, you guys were already at your podiums. But obviously, you took the stage before that. Were there greetings? And was there a hand? shake and any kind of a, uh, a peace accord of any kind with Mike before that started? Sure, of course. You know, we're, we shook hands. You know, and, you know, before these things, we're all sort of backstage, you know, BSing and talking with each other. And so, like I said, or, like I said earlier, for me, none of this stuff is personal. It, it's all about fighting for the country, and it's about who's going to be the, ne- the best United States senator for the 11.7 million people of Ohio. And at the end of the day, like the people I'm running against, they're, they're not bad people. You know, I've gotten to know them. Some of them I've known for years and others I've gotten to know more recently. You know, none of them are bad people. They all seem like they have great families and, you know, they're not bad people. But as I said earlier, they're deal cutters. They're the kind of people that will they'll, they'll cut a deal with Schumer. They'll cut a deal with Pelosi. They'll cut a deal with the establishment Republican Party bosses. And that's just not me. I'm not a deal cutter. I'm a fighter. And, uh, you know, I think that the time for bipartisanship is over. Like, now is not the time for bipartisanship. Now is the time for sending fighters to the U.S. Senate. And, and that's what I am. And, you know, when people go on my website, joshmandel.com, sometimes they say, you know, well, we think Josh is too hard right, or he's, he's too America first. Bob, I don't think there's a such thing as too hard right or too America first, because like, to, to attack me for being too conservative means that I'm to American, because what we're trying to conserve is the individual liberty, personal freedom, and constitutional principles laid out by the founders. And like, you know, people can attack me on that all day. Uh, I have no problem because I'm proud to stand up for the Constitution. I'm proud to stand up for individual liberty. I'm proud to stand up for personal freedom. And uh, I'm doing it not for me. I'm doing it for my three kids. Gideon, that's the la- that, that, that's the last thing. I'm Gideon sorry, Rosie, and, and for, for 
for everyone else, for your listeners, kids and grandkids. Like, you know, for all your listeners here, like, I don't think this is about us anymore. You know, frankly, I, I think this this fight we have in front of us, it, it's about saving the country for our kids and our grandkids. Like, that is what it's about. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was I thought you were done when you said kids, because uh, I was about to say that's the last thing I would ever accuse you of being is too conservative. Because I agree, you are right. There is no such thing as too conservative, especially in a Senate seat that has been held by a rhino for lo these many years. I want that seat to become not just another Republican seat, but a conservative seat. So I completely concur. Josh, last thing. Um, again, this kind of goes back to what happened Friday night, but it's really bigger than that. Um, I, I, I wish I would have thought of this question yesterday. I would have asked Gibbons too, but I'm going to ask you. Um, if you don't win the primary, will you publicly support and campaign for the winner and vice versa? Do you think if you win the primary that the others on that stage will, will publicly campaign and support for you to make sure we keep that seat? Uh, of course I will, and I, and I think they will too when I win this primary. I mean, listen, we all have to work together to defeat Tim Ryan um, in November. I mean, Tim Ryan is a radical leftist. When this guy ran for president a few years ago, Bob, he came out for the Green New Deal which would just crush jobs in, in Ohio and America. But also, look where gas prices are now. It would increase them even worse. Um, he came out for defund the police. Think about that. This is an Ohio congressman, Tim Ryan, came out for defund the police. And he's voted with Nancy Pelosi 95% of the time. And so, heck yeah, you know, I'll, I'll support whoever wins the primary, but I'm, I'm pretty confident it's going to be me. Josh, that's uh, what I like to hear. I appreciate that. That is exactly what I would expect to hear from the others as well. And and I hope that the takeaway from this conversation and, uh, you know, the final word on what happened on Friday night is what you just said. It is nothing personal. No hard feelings. It's nothing personal. Is that a fair headline? Absolutely. I appreciate that. That's a very, very uh, a great response to hear. Josh Mandel, uh, great job on the event last night. Thank you for explaining your positions on all of this stuff today. I appreciate that, and I look forward to talking to you again. Thanks, Bob. Have a good one. Thank you, sir. That's Josh Mandel, United States Marine, United States Senate candidate, uh, responding to the issues uh, with Mike Gibbons and beyond. I really enjoyed that conversation. You can react to it later. But coming up after the news, Peter Kersenow will react to that and more. Coming up, AM 1420, The Answer. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number two is underway now of three. Don't forget that. This is our second week of being a three-hour show, and I'm very much looking forward to hearing from you, particularly in hour number three, because we've got a very important guest coming up here for the bulk of hour number two. Before I do that on this Tuesday, the 22nd morning of the third month of the year of our Lord, 2022, just a quick follow-up to the interview I just did with Josh Mandel. I just had a text exchange with Josh, and uh, I really, truly appreciate it. He said, great interview, fair and direct. And what I said back to him, and I'm sure he doesn't mind me telling this, I hated Friday. I hated Friday. What happened? 
because I like both you guys, I said to him, so much as men and as candidates. And I want to see conservatives unified, even though they're competing for the same job, and they do have to go at one another to a degree, professionally and on records and so forth, and ideas. Um, it can't be personal, and it can't be the way it got on Friday. I like Mike Gibbons. I like Josh Mandel. Both of them know that, and I want to be fair, it to be fair, rather, and this whole thing to be on the issues. And Josh said, you were very fair to both of us. And Josh, I appreciate that. And by the way, Something else I said to Josh off the record, or not off the record, this is the record, I'm on the air now. Something I said to him in a text message a few moments ago, too. Um, I didn't play General Flynn's comments because General nobody is going to defend Josh Mandel better than Josh Mandel. General Flynn's comments were about generally about military people and about how military, the military is a, is a job that involves a lot of work. Uh, it was very general, and it wouldn't have done any good for Josh Mandel as much as Josh could defend himself. And I think he did a very good job of doing that. So, uh, And the best part about it is the way this that interview ended. As Josh said, the fair headline would absolutely be, uh, this is nothing personal. Uh, there are no hard feelings. And I'm sure Mike Gibbons would say the exact same thing. So thank you to both of them for those exclusive interviews in the last couple of days. And now we can get on with the business of finding the right senator for the state of Ohio to replace Rob Portman. Now, having said all of that, let's welcome uh, our good friend Peter Kersenow back to our program. Peter Kersenow is a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights, the longest-serving such member in the history of that uh, board. Uh, Peter is also, of course, a Cleveland attorney, a sometime columnist, a sometime law professor, and uh, pretty much a full-time writer these days as he continues to work on one of his books and another in the W.E.B. Griffin series, which he can tell us about in a little bit. Pete, good morning. Good to have you back. You know, I'm still trying to figure out, Bob, the Browns trade. I have to admit. <laughs> After <laughs> all of that, to... you come at me with Deshaun Watson. <laughs> exactly right. And I know, I know, despite the fact that both you and I have been very disappointed with the NFL generally and the Browns and their stances, and I've watched very little pro football, um, nonetheless, you can't help but be riveted to this thing and wondering who's calling the shots, what's going on. Three first-round draft choices and 22 losses? I'm, I'm, just, uh, I'm still trying to figure it all out. And, and, a, th- and a three? I think and a three uh, and a, and a five or something or three and a right, four. Right. Yeah. Right. That's two hundred fifty million lot. in guaranteed money. Also, you know that's that's uh, wow. Particularly um, for a guy who is guaranteed to be suspended as soon as he is activated. He's guaranteed yeah. it. I mean, because if you look at the history of of guys who have been involved in allegations such as these, suspension is almost guaranteed before he's e- he's even allowed to play. So. Uh, and of course, there have been some great articles. Uh, Doug Maurice wrote a really interesting one about how this is going to really impact the Browns' relationship with its fan base. Now, some fans yep. are rabid, and I don't care if you sign Satan himself to be quarterback. If he brings us a Super Bowl, I will hail Satan. Others who are saying, you know what? We can't do this. We can't bring in guys like this. We don't know what is true. Um, uh, reputation isn't the word I'm looking for. We don't know who he is truly. We don't know how accurate all of these accusations are, but 22 different women making 22 different accusations at different times, uh, is, is an awful lot for them to stomach. So there's a, there's a risk here for the Browns, no question. Even if he is the second coming of a combination of Tom Brady and Bart Starr, um, Anyone is going to have distractions as a result of this. There's no, there's no way you can be that focused on your game if you've got 22 pending lawsuits. 
and they're probably going to be more now that everyone knows he's got $250 million in guaranteed money. So uh, this is really, this kind of reminds me of that movie uh, from about 10 years ago, Draft Day, where uh, at one point uh, the Browns had given up like three first-round draft choices and got virtually nothing in return. Here at least we got something in return, but we're mortgaging the future, and I'm very concerned about that. So you wouldn't have done it? Um... No, I don't think I would have done it on balance. I, I really don't think I would have done it. And also from the standpoint of the fan base, too. I think that uh, a lot of rabid Browns fans, yeah, there are those who would just want to win, baby, win. And I'm somewhere in between that. I mean, I want to win, 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 because I've not seen a championship since 1964. But nonetheless, uh, I think it's important that we remain the Browns. And the Browns usually weren't that mercenary in the past. Maybe they should have been more mercenary in the past. I don't know. But uh, I do think that this appeared to be a very jaded move. Um, and I'm concerned that we're mortgaging the future. I understand we may be getting some more stuff in return. Uh, but, uh, you know, again, three first-round draft choices, you don't get those back. That's a big, big deal. And we, we saw, you know, for a number of years when the Browns would blow draft choices in the first round and we kept being mired in not just mediocrity but just abject ridiculousness so uh we'll see we'll see i'm hopeful that deshaun watson does turn out to be finally the one thing that turns the browns into a contender but um you know i thought baker mayfield could have done that i don't want to talk about football all day bob i mean although i could but deshaun watson's got better physical skills than baker i think baker's a leader i think baker unfortunately was injured last year and that contributed a lot to you know his performance last year he showed that he can take us you know to the playoffs so um uh well yeah you know we'll see but three first round draft choices my goodness yeah and what do you mean you hope the browns remain the browns i mean what did the dolans buy the team or something <laughs> not aware of that i hope there's no danger there but uh you know i think the Haslam's plan on keeping the name by the way you dated yourself you did you really go brady and star not brady and manning or brady and uh you know or uh, even montana you went back to bart star holy cow personnel <laughs> absolutely i mean there's a lot of guys you can choose but bart star looms in my mind because during the time when the browns were competitive at the time when they were winning championship games and playing the green bay packers in crucial games, Bart Starr was the guy. Paul Horning, Jim Taylor, yeah. Forrest Gregg, you know, Kramer, all those guys. Ringo. Yeah, no, no, I know I know a lot of the guys you're talking about. I just had to read them in my NFL history books. I didn't get to say that. <laughs> so like I said, you're dating yourself there, and you, it's on you, not me. All right, um, Pete, let's, um, let's dive into a few issues. Um, I'm going to play a clip for you here. Uh, this is uh, Jim Jordan uh, talking with me yesterday about the sudden revelation by the New York Times that, um, yeah, we knew the, the Hunter uh, laptop was real. Sure. The laptop was real. The news was fake. I mean, that, that, that the laptop was real. The eyewitness, Tony Bobulinski, was a real person who had real information, was a real partner with Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, these guys. Uh, and the, 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 the documents were actually real, those emails that talked about 10% for the big guy. And I mean, it was all real. And we knew it at the time, the mainstream press, because they wanted Joe Biden to be the next president and we're out to get President Trump. They lied to us. So everything was real that we knew last fall. The only thing fake was the news, which we sort of knew that as well. This is just the state of affairs for today's media, and it's why we have to work so hard and why your show is so important, your show and others like it, because you actually give the truth. 
Yeah, and uh, it is important that somebody do that, um, because you know who's not doing that, Pete? Even as the New York Times says, yeah, it's real, and yeah, uh, it probably should have been relevant and would have been relevant uh, back in the weeks leading, leading up to the election. On the Sunday shows, even though this is being confirmed now on the Sunday shows, they are not giving in they just refuse to address it on brian stelter on cnn uh what they did was they just doubled down and still refused to admit they were wrong but this is what they were saying the u.s spy agencies have gathered intelligence that the president's personal lawyer rudy giuliani was dealing with alleged russian intelligence agencies last week giuliani and former trump official steve bannon provided the new york post with unverified emails allegedly linking one of hunter biden's ukrainian partners with a possible meeting with joe Biden when he was vice president, a meeting the Biden campaign says never took place. Experts say the emails cannot be authenticated. Some may have been altered or are fake. But now they're recognizing and admitting that they were real. All of them were real. It was his laptop in a drunken or high stupor. He dropped his computer off at a repair shop and never went back for it. So Pete, does it give you any satisfaction at all to know now that what we knew uh, has been acknowledged by at least one of the left-wing news sources that buried it? Uh, or does it just make you angrier because Biden has been president for 14 months as a result of it? Makes me much angrier, and we must maintain that anger. Anger by itself is not sufficient. We must do something about it. And among the things we must do, unfortunately, is keep beating what's not a dead horse. This is a very live, live horse because the media and Democrats, but I repeat myself, continue to lie us on big matters, giant matters. For four years, we were subjected to the biggest false story, the greatest political scandal in American history was either distorted or swept under the rug by major media, which knew what was going on. The evidence shows they knew precisely what was going on. There was nothing there. For four years, they're going on and on about this, awarded themselves Pulitzers. Every single day, it was about Russia collusion. All utterly false. Now, the laptop was completely true. And if you look at the contents of the laptop and the implications from it would be even worse than if you'd believed the truth about the Russia or believe that the Russia collusion story was true. Yet you get crickets after this revelation. The media hasn't really been talking about it. You get this mea culpa that's in the 24th page of the New York Times buried there. Nobody's really making many comments on it. In fact, the 51 so-called intelligence people who shamefully came out and wrote a letter saying that, well, this is Russian disinformation. In the context of a presidential campaign, they did that to uh, deflect attention from it and to give Biden a win. Those people, every single time they appear in the media, every single time somebody must ask them about that and get they're all saying no comment. That's insufficient. They changed the outcome of the election, or at least contributed to doing so. It is shameful and makes you ask yourself, what other things did these people, our intelligence professionals at the highest levels, what other lies did they tell us when they were in office or even afterwards when the case of uh, Brennan and Clapper, who are on media constantly flapping their gums, telling us lies? What's really uh, distressing about this, Bob, is, yeah, Jim Jordan knows about it. A few others know about it. You and I knew about it. We suspected from the very beginning this was this was true. In fact, the evidence showed it was true. It wasn't just simply a suspicion. When Bob Alinsky came out, I think that sealed the deal. It shows the enormous influence that the media has, because if they don't report, the example is that you probably saw there are two polls that asked Biden voters 
had they known about this, would it have affected their uh, their vote? And eight to ten percent of Biden voters. First of all, it was like I think seventy seven percent of Biden voters were not even aware of the story. We're not even aware. But eight to ten percent, if they how had could known, they be aware? Changed, right, exactly. <laughs> they would have switched their votes, which would have given Trump, regardless of any cheating or any kind of maladministration of the voting systems, would have given Trump a massive historic landslide landslide victory. This is precisely what the left did. Twitter, Google, everybody suppressed it. They canceled people who tried to talk about it. The media didn't talk about it. And to the extent they talked about it, they didn't even acknowledge certain aspects of it. Like when you talk, you look at, uh, what's her name? Um, gosh, I can't remember her name from 60 Minutes who interviewed Trump and kind of dismissed him when he tried to talk about it. Like, no, no, there's no evidence of that. There's no evidence of that. It was well, Leslie Stahl. I think it was Leslie Stahl, Stahl, wasn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Those people now need to be interviewed. The interviewers now need to be interviewed and ask them, why the heck do you have a job when with the biggest story, arguably the biggest political story in American history, we have a compromised president. People aren't even saying that. We have a compromised president. We have evidence that millions of dollars flowed from various sources such as Ukraine, China, and indirectly from Russia through Ukraine. Russian oligarchs, the, the mayor of Moscow's wife gave Hunter Biden all kinds of money. They weren't giving Hunter Biden money. Had nothing to do whatsoever with Hunter Biden. He's a derelict. I mean, <laughs> nobody gives a guy like that money. And not people who want to influence American policy definitely give Hunter Biden money because it's going to go directly into his crack pipe. They were doing it because his father was vice president of the United States. And you have to ask yourself, what was the quid pro quo? What were the expectations? No one's asking those questions. Well, one of the reasons well, no one's asking is because the Republicans don't have any power right now, can't hold hearings. And so that's one way the media can avert their eyes and claim, well, there's nothing to report here. It's extraordinary what's happening here. And it's not getting sufficient attention. Yes. You know, this, this is a political issue. It's mere politics, but it's also a substantive issue that goes directly to the security of the United States and how we comport ourselves as Americans in, in our, within our polity. This is extraordinary. should be talked about every day. We don't just simply swoop it under the rug and say, well, this is par for the course. Of course, you know, the Democrats and the media, but I repeat myself, are not going to talk about this thing. This is unacceptable. It is a big deal. And every single day, they can do nothing about it. But you know what? Republicans can do nothing about anything, but they still flap their gums about all manner of things. But I agree with Jim Jordan. Every single day they must be talking about that. And when they finally get power, there must be hearings. You and I kind of get bored with hearings because it seems as if nothing ever comes from it. But there must be hearings. There must be a prosecutor on this. All that money, among other things, the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act is implicated. Okay, let's uh, let's stop it there, Pete, because uh, I want to take our time out here, and then I want to ask you a follow-up question to all of this. Forget about the media for a second. There's somebody else that needs to answer questions here about that laptop, why it was dismissed and allowed to be buried back then, uh, and then, of course, with the startling, re- well, not startling to us, but the new revelations today. Um, I'll follow up on that right after this, AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 1025. I want to continue with Kirstenauer now and follow up on who else was derelict in uh, dealing with the, uh, the Hunter Biden laptop back in the weeks leading up to the 2020 election. As Pete, as you said, uh, a number of Democrats, a significant majority of Democrats, uh, may have changed their vote had they known then that this was accurate, uh, uh, you know, what they know now. So I want to play this for you. 
and get your response to this, because this is somebody who's more, far more, more important than the media as far as getting the truth out there. This is uh, Attorney General Bill Barr from two days ago. As soon as this uh, letter came out from these so-called intelligence uh, specialists, the DNI, John Radcliffe at the time, and the FBI, which worked for me, both came out and said this was not the result of disinformation, Russian disinformation. The media ignored that completely just kept on going with the disinformation line. I mean, that's So the media ignored it, even though his DNI and the FBI uh, both said this is not Russian disinformation. What you're hearing uh, on, on the news every night and from the Democrats is wrong. This is not. So my question, Pete, is where was Bill Barr? Why wasn't he shouting this from the rooftop saying, wait a second, all of this stuff about this being Russian disinformation has been disproven by the Director of National Intelligence and our FBI, which has investigated this. Yeah, I don't know where Bill Barr was. I don't know it's the Attorney General's job to be shouting it from the rooftops. It is the Attorney General's job to investigate anything that might implicate various federal statutes, which the allegations, not the allegations, the evidence contained on the laptop seem to do. And Bobulinski's um, uh, interview seemed to suggest, among other things, that the least of them was the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. I mean, that's the easiest one. That's a layup. And I understand Hunter Biden is currently being, um, uh, there's a grand jury and that he's being investigated under that. But, um, you know, during the run-up to the election, I'm not sure precisely what Attorney General Barr could have done at that point. He'd have to convene a grand jury, have a special prosecutor to do so. Well, but but couldn't, know, he, couldn't, he have, couldn't he have issued a, a press release to all of these press agencies who are saying that, uh, you know, uh, retired or former intelligence operatives say that this is Russian disinformation? Couldn't he say... Our office, literally, the FBI, which is under the DOJ or in the DOJ, uh, have determined this is not Russian disinformation. Could a press release have been... Go ahead. Yeah, I, two things. One, I don't know that at that time, Bob, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt, admittedly, and I try to give everyone the benefit of the doubt. I don't sure. know that at that time they had come to a definitive conclusion as to the provenance of the laptop and whether or not it was validly the case, although I think they did. Number two is, if there was an ongoing investigation, it probably would have been improper at best to issue a release like that saying that it is it is valid laptop i don't know all the different well they didn't um, have to say valid pete they didn't have to you know swear to its validity but they could swear to what they found as as he said he said that our fbi and dni said that this is not russian in origin it's not russian disinformation so i don't know i mean if 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 they're not going to say it why investigate it why would they even care you know, and, he, I, and his I, complaint two days ago in that interview was um, that the media ignored it. Well, if, if that matters to him, why didn't it matter to him then that the media was ignoring it? Why didn't he do something to say this is this is in the interest of national security and in the interest of, of you know in in the national interest basically? Yeah, I think it um, this, highly... this 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 is wrong just to declare yeah. to, to declare this to be Russian disinformation. I think that's not the place for the Justice Department or the Attorney General until they have some kind of adjudication, something official. I I think that, especially in the context of the run-up to an election, I don't want a Justice Department weighing in like that, even if it may be true. I think the Justice Department has to be extremely careful and circumspect about something of that nature. Now, the Democrats may violate that all the time. That doesn't mean we get to do that. 
Uh, there are certain norms, there are certain practices that I think are, are should be inviolate that you don't traduce, even if Democrats do those kinds of things. So, I, again, I'm not defending Barr. I don't know whether or not he should or should have. I'm inclined to think that if I were in his position, I would not have said something that uh, I would not have, unless somebody asked me, if somebody said, what, what is your take on it? I would have said, Every, all the evidence we have seems to suggest it's, you know, uh, valid. But I wouldn't come out affirmatively and make that because it would look as if the Justice Department was politicized. Yeah, I guess other than the fact that now, a year and a half later, him making the announcement that my DNI or the uh, the DNI and my uh, uh, FBI uh, knew that it wasn't disinformation, now it makes it look like he was politically uh, motivated to say nothing. Because that could have changed, like you said, you proved it. A lot of votes that the that the office was is was politicized in the other direction. Uh, yeah, so. a lot of blame to go around, Bob. I put the blame directly on the media, number one, for covering this up, but most importantly, Hunter and Joe Biden. Yeah, no question about that. Pete, we'll take a time out here, and then we're going to talk about your favorite subject, the NCAA Women's Swimming Championships. <laughs> That's next, <laughs> AM 1420, The Answer. We continue now on AM 1420, The Answer. A little heads up, if you missed my exclusive interview with Josh Mandel uh, in the first hour of the program, it is now posted on my website, alwaysright.us. Alwaysright.us. Headline, I cleared with Josh, because I really wanted to clear the air with him and Mike Gibbons. Headline is, no hard feelings, it's not personal. Josh wants to put aside everything that happened on Friday night. It's not personal, and there are no hard feelings as far as he's concerned. And uh, I don't think there are with Mike Gibbons either, but I haven't talked to him since uh, we talked yesterday, at which time, uh, you know, I think maybe uh, maybe Mike felt, felt a little bit differently. But after the uh, uh, debate last night, uh, it seems as though maybe we're on our way to getting past this. But that interview is available right now on alwayswrite.us, alwayswrite.us. And when you're done, make sure that you click the sound off button and record your thoughts give me your comments on the interview on the uh battle between the two of them both literally on the stage and of course figuratively uh, as it pertains to the race give me your thoughts on that senate race at alwayswrite.us alwayswrite.us by the way since i'm promoting my website and my interview with josh mandel i feel like peter kirsten now as we continue i need to do this too pete what what's your favorite dressing for uh for for a word salad Tell me, tell me what you want. I'll, you, I'll tell you what. You provide your own dressing. I'll give you the salad, though. Here you go. The governor and I, and we were all um, doing a tour of the library here and um, talking about the significance of the passage of time, right? The significance of the passage of time. So when you think about it, there is great significance to the passage of time in terms of what we need to do to lay these wires, what we need to do to create these jobs. And there is such great significance to the passage of time when we think about a day in the life of our children. Um, I, uh, enjoy. <laughs> 
onto something like this. You know, it is funny, it's hilarious, but this is the vice president of the United States, as they say, the heartbeat away from the presidency. Uh, words fail. I, as opposed to her, her they fail her too. Fail. <laughs> that's why. That's why she uses the same ones over and over and over again. And 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 you know, by the way, Pete, you know, we should probably stop complaining. She found a way to stop herself from giggling when she has nothing to say, and that is to say the same thing four times in twenty-four seconds. The significance of the passage of time is very significant because of the significance of the passage of time. And in case you don't know, what we decided is that there is a significance to the passage. of what do you want, Pete? I mean, pick your poison. You want, <laughs> or yeah. you want the passage of time? Pick your pick your poison. Bob, I wish you'd stop being so racist and sexist. Yeah. <laughs> Lord, I won't even ask you about the confirmation hearings for Katanji Brown-Jackson then, uh, because if you uh, criticize her, then you run into that as well. All right, Pete, uh, what I do want to ask you about, though, seriously, and I guess this will make me transphobic and sexist or something, whatever you want to call it, um, Leah Thomas won the 500-meter uh, whatever uh, uh, stroke that was that uh, he was racing in against uh, the rest of the national champions, uh, or I should say the national championship finalists in the uh, NCAA women's swimming meet. Uh, Leah Thomas, who was just a year ago, Will Thomas, swimming against the men and being, I think, 461st ranked in the country suddenly is number one ranked in the country against females. But then in the finals in the 100-meter freestyle, he finished eighth. And I continue to say he because I'm a believer in science, not because I'm rude. I am a believer in science. And and people with XY chromosomes are going to be called males, period. But Peter Kirsten, now, um, that's not the end of the story here. Um, the story has taken another turn because one of the swimmers in that championship finished 17th. And the top 16 advanced to the finals. Um, she could no longer hold in what so many of the swimmers who have swam with, who have swum with, uh, Leah Thomas or Will Thomas on the University of Pennsylvania team or against, uh, Leah Thomas, uh, during this season. They've all been forced to keep their lips zipped about how angry they are about it. Not just about competing against a man or a male but also about the extraordinary insensitivity that he is on, has on display in the locker room when they say that he won't cover himself in his male genitalia. So the, 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 the problem here is that now that a swimmer who finished 17th and complained that her spot was stolen from her because Leah Thomas is a male, she's been banned from Twitter for expressing yeah. such hatred by suggesting that this person is a male. Likewise, Pete because this is in the same wheelhouse, um, Twitter has suspended the Attorney General of the state of Texas, Ken Paxton, for stating a simple biological fact, that biological males are called men, not called women. And in his case, he was referring to Rachel slash Richard Levine, uh, the four-star admiral, or three-star, or whatever it is, um, who is uh, in, in uh, the Biden, Biden cabinet. So, Pete, there's a lot of grill for, uh, 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 grist for the mill here. Why don't you take that? Yeah, there is a lot, and something that could spark hours and hours, days of debate, and it's very important, however. And I know I'm going to get canceled for this, but uh, so be it. Uh, you know, Twitter and the like like to cancel people, and all, all the cancellations go in one direction. Um, let's start with, let's, let's just address that for one moment right now. Um, 
there have been a number of people, I think Senator Josh Hawley, I think Senator Cruz, Bill Barr is one of them, who have stated that we need to do a number of things with respect to these monopolies and the way they've been censoring people on important subjects and censoring in one direction only. And that is that they should be viewed, when they have monopoly power like this, um, and it implicates the First Amendment, or at least it, it implicates freedom of speech. Maybe not with respect to government, but when you have monopoly status, you are, in effect, having monopoly or governmental powers to be able to shut down discourse across the entire country, in large part. And if that's the case, just as Vivek Ramaswamy, who wrote Woke, Inc., and you may see him on Fox from time to time, I had an opportunity to interview him when the book first came out for the Federalist Society, and he has suggested that when, especially when the government and the Biden administration in many cases has been partnering with Twitter and Google and others to suppress certain information, that those companies be liable and, uh, you know, various actions be, be able to be brought against them, whether they be uh, private causes of action or uh, actions under the FCC or the Sherman Act. But let's put that aside for just a moment and get to the guts of this. There's so much that is wrong about this, and everyone knows that, but but a lot of people are afraid to say it. Maybe I am not smart enough to recognize that I should be afraid to say it because they are career killers. If you say something such as, you know, the emperor has no clothes, then you get banned, you get fired, you get canceled. It's a truly extraordinary moment in time in the United States of America. But the truth is the truth. Facts are facts. And Leah Thomas, Will Thomas, is a man who is swimming against women. And there's a lot of reasons why that's wrong, but one of the things that I'm hoping to do very soon, I've called for a hearing at the Civil Rights Commission to the extent that's worth anything, but it doesn't appear as if the government's doing anything, and this government won't do anything. The Biden administration will not do anything because they're in favor of this. But I want to have a hearing at the Civil Rights Commission addressing the legal aspects of this, the Title IX aspects of this that prohibits sex discrimination, because... Among other things, this is sex discrimination. You just indicated the one person who missed out who would have placed, but for the fact that Will slash Leah Thomas um, was swimming in this, and, and he, he's a male. That's, it's that simple. Leah, Leah Thomas, Will Thomas, whatever. Look, I, I believe in according people a measure of dignity. I will not do anything to give them disquiet. Uh, I try to be nice to people as often as I can. So I will, you know, address him the way he wants to be dressed. But at the same time, I am entitled to the dignity of not compromising the truth or facts. And I can't call him. He is not a woman. It's that simple. But as we discussed once before, Bob, this goes beyond. This transcends the important issue of whether or not this displaces, you know, females in sports, etc. But it goes to, and this is, you know, transcends even the issue of truth and falsity. But this is an effort to try to get you to say something that is so manifestly wrong in order to get you to accept other wrong propositions. I said on your program, I don't know when it was, a few weeks ago, that if you look at some of the great literature out there, but especially literature that talks about totalitarian regimes, 
And I mentioned Darkness at Noon by Arthur Kessler. But there are other dystopian novels that show how totalitarian regimes, one of the first things they try to get you to do is accept absurd or manifestly incorrect propositions. And the reason for that is to break you down so that you accept all kinds of absurd or manifestly wrong propositions, such as communism is good or socialism is good. That's absurd, but if they can get you to say a man is a woman, Boy, they can get you to say almost anything. It's a part of a practice of psychologically breaking you down. And I think, frankly, that's what's occurring right here. But let's discuss just for one more moment the discrete issue of Leah Thomas, Will Thomas, displacing other females. I think that is a Title IX violation. At least the NCAA doing this would be a Title IX um, violation, which prohibits sex discrimination in programs that receive federal funds, the NCAA and all these programs receive federal funds. But the, it, 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 it's, it's amazing we even have to say this. He has so many manifest physical advantages that can't be erased simply because he starts taking testosterone suppression therapy doesn't work. It's baked in. Also, it doesn't even matter whether or not someone reaches puberty to get those testosterone benefits. We've been hearing about, you know, people are making the argument that, well, of course, um, no matter what, if he takes testosterone suppression therapy, he's going to have an advantage because he went through puberty. You don't even have to go through puberty to get those built-in advantages. Males from the time they are three, four, five years old have advantages that females don't have, and they are baked in. They are irreducible. You're going to have those advantages. It's, as you indicated, this guy ranked about in the top, or maybe not in the top 500. I think he was like 460 or yeah, so among 461, males. 461, I think sudden, is what I read. All of a sudden, he is breaking records as an alleged female. And we are being asked to accept this, and then you get banned if you don't. What, what world are we in right now? We've been accepting absurdities now for such a long time, but we're starting to reach peak absurdity. You start to ask yourself, okay, what's next? Among other things, what do we do, Bob, in sports? We break down categories by a whole host of divisions, such as divisions. Um, division one teams don't play against division five teams because there would be an unfair advantage. You don't have welterweights boxing against heavyweights because there's a built-in advantage that you can't be reduced. There are all kinds of categories that we acknowledge because of fairness and also safety. You know about that one martial artist, the, um, male martial artist who decided he was going to compete against females and almost killed the first female they fought against. And in fact, that female said, and I think she had been like the reigning MMA champ, female champ, said she'd never been hit that hard before in her entire life. She, she thought she didn't even know what it hit her. You can't do these kinds of things. It's manifestly absurd. And the fundamental unfairness of all those women, all those girls, who from the time they were five years old, got up at 4.30 in the morning, was, were driven out to the pools, swam and swam and swam and then went through a full day of school and then did their homework and etc. I mean, all that stuff for years and years and years in the hope of maybe getting a scholarship and then after that, maybe making the Olympics. Who knows yeah. what their aspirations Pete, were dashed because of this. Pete, let me jump in and ask you this. Um, should there be a boycott? Because that's what the one swimmer, uh, uh, Rika, it's R-E-K-A, I don't know if I'm saying it right or not, Rika Georgie, G-Y-O-R-G-Y, Georgie, 
Uh, she criticized. She's the one I was talking about who said her spot in the finals was taken away by the biological male. That's why she was suspended from Twitter, but she's doing more than that. She is calling for all female participants to boycott the NCAA competitions until they uh, change the rule that says if you are a biological male, you must compete against biological males. You, you may not come in here and just take over and destroy women's sports. Should they take that big step and literally uh, allow their, uh, their competitions to go empty? Yes. Yes, they should, quite simply. I'm usually against boycotts and things like that, but yes, they should, because no one else is going to take any action, and they're the ones who have control over whether or not the NCAA comes to its its senses. But you you saw that very few people said anything because they were afraid to. Even the girls on the Penn team, you've seen articles about it, how they're scared to say anything, and they've been admonished not to say anything. In an almost kind of totalitarian way, you cannot say, you cannot speak the truth, you cannot say that the emperor has no clothes. It's an extraordinary moment in time. And if we don't stop it or nip it at the bud, who knows what else it's going to affect. I do think it's incumbent, unfortunately, on these girls, these women, who are the swimmers, to boycott. I do. Otherwise, nothing's going to happen. Nothing whatsoever, because all of Woke Inc. is in favor of this. No question about it. Hey, Pete, super quick, tell me about the Devil's Weapons. Oh, yeah, well, thanks very much. Yeah, it's um, my new WB Griffin. It won't be coming out until August, but it's available on pre-order on Amazon. Uh, but it's historical fiction. I think everybody in the audience will love it. I mean, I'm, I'm partial to it, of course. But it does have, uh, it's based on Operation Barbarossa and an attempt by the Office of Strategic Services, the predecessor to the CIA, to get into Poland in the midst of the biggest land battle in American history to extract a scientist who's got the ability, he, he's been working, had been working with Germans before the war, but the ability to create what Hitler called super weapons, you know, the intercontinental ballistic missiles and all the other things that eventually emerged from World War II. I think it's, um, it's a great read. It's like my other books. It's fast-paced thriller, political thriller, lots of action, of course. You're in World War II, of course, so there's going to be a lot of action. And then there will be a, a sequel to that one called The Devil's Assassins with the same cast of characters, and it's based on the Tehran Conference and the attempt by, uh, uh, well, the alleged attempt by the Germans to assassinate the big three there. So lots of fun, lots of action, a lot of historical, accurate historical representations, but the intricacies are filled by fiction, and fiction that's a lot of fun. Simply amazing. This is a part of the Men at War series, uh, the W.E.B. Griffin series, The Devil's Weapons, written, though, by Peter Kersenow. Pete, always appreciate your time. Thanks so much for sharing the great information you do, and thanks for continuing the great work to keep up that series as well. Uh, I know uh, fans of, uh, of the W.E.B. Griffin novels will absolutely love it. Thank you, Pete. Thanks so much, Bob. All right, that's Kersenow. It's 1053. Uh, the rest of the show, I believe, is yours. Phone lines open now at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. You can also leave your message for me on the website, alwayswrite.us, and we'll be back. Always right with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. Okay, 1057. Obviously, just a short segment here. 
AM 1420, The Answer, before we get into hour number three. Uh, so looking for your phone calls. We'll be taking them all until about 1145. We will uh, also, of course, uh, look for your messages on the Always Right website. If you missed it and did not hear the interview earlier today with uh, Josh Mandel, uh, I gave Mike Gibbons a chance to tell his side of things yesterday. I gave Josh Mandel a chance to tell his side today. And in Josh's mind, it's over because it's not personal. What happened on Friday night is not personal. Uh, and uh, he said there are no hard feelings over it. Um, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. They had an event last night. He said there was a handshake before the debate last night. He said people were milling around and it was cordial, which is what I would expect and hope it to be. Even though politics can be ugly and they're fighting with one another, uh, you know, specifically about the issues, which is how it's supposed to be, not about personal attacks and not specifically and literally about physical attacks, but they're fighting with one another over the issues to win the nomination, and that is how it's supposed to be. There's nothing wrong with that. So I hope it stays that. I hope it's not personal on the Gibbon side either. As I said before, I like both of those guys, uh, and I want a strong conservative to be in that seat and may the best strong conservative win. That is what I want. I also want 100% accuracy, however, and fairness in statements. Uh, and as I told Josh, I said, I don't play that way. I'm not going to sit here and just say, well, you know, somebody said something that they didn't say when it's clearly on tape. Uh, and we have the tape and we have the video. And uh, I think we, we should be very specific in responding to things that were said and not putting things into it, not reading things into it that were not said. For example, if there is a talk show host that you have ever heard of that has committed a violent crime, I would be really upset if somebody said talk show hosts commit violent crimes. They're bad people. No. One person committed a violent crime. In the same way, if somebody says that one particular U.S. veteran has not been in the private sector, in what world can we jump to? This person says that U.S. veterans never work and don't work in the private sector. I, I, that's a verbal leap that is just not accurate, not fair, and I'm not going to. I'm not going to play that way. I told Josh that. Josh understood it. Josh agreed, and Josh and I had a really great text message uh, back and forth after the interview. He agrees it was fair and direct, uh, and I agreed uh, with his final uh, characterization of this as being not personal. But we need to get to the facts. So that's where that lives right now. I would love your reaction to it at 216-901-0945 or 888 Leave your message on Sound Off, which, of course, is on the webpage at alwayswrite.us. Hour 3, coming up. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is always 
right with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. You know that uh, very beginning part where it says that hour number three of the of the, uh, Always Right with Bob France? I almost went old school there. Uh, is brought to you by the Floor King and Keeping Medicare Simple. Can I just uh, thank them once again? Phenomenal, phenomenal partners and friends. You know, I, I, I endorse companies that I believe in. I endorse products that I believe in. Uh, and I have sponsorships with people that uh, whose, whose professionalism and values I believe in. And uh, it means a lot to me. It really, really does. And when we needed somebody to step up, uh, those two companies said, we are in. Let's do our number three. And uh, it's huge. It's a huge sponsorship, and I really respect and appreciate. Uh, my friends uh, at the Floor King and my friends uh, at Keeping Medicare Simple, uh, and that, of course, is Mark King. I like to say it's my pair of kings. Uh, that's my... Uh, those are my whole cards, uh, and I will uh, I will put them up against anybody. And if you've got pocket aces, good for you. Good luck. But I've got pocket kings, and I'm uh, and I'm ready to go. I'll take my chances with uh, with uh, the floor king and Mark King. So thank you both for allowing this to be possible. Uh, once again, if you missed the interviews uh, today, including the one with Peter Kersenow, all of them will be available at the Always Right website. You can go on our podcast page as well. AlwaysRight.us, by the way. And our podcast page at whkradio.com. We are open until 11.45, so I look forward to your phone calls at 216-901-0945. First one has been sitting there and waiting is Charlie in Westlake. Charlie, you are almost always the first in. Thanks for your patience. Go uh, right ahead. Yeah, no problem. Uh, interesting show. Uh, you made a point real early. You don't like it, do you? That- you don't like it. No, usually no, you I, say usually you say good show or great show. Now you say yeah, interesting, interesting show. So you didn't like it no, today. I, it, no, I like it. I like it. Because, because I'm just messing with you, Charlie. Senate, it's okay. I know. The Senate race is probably – I've been in politics my whole life. This is extraordinarily interesting. It's entertaining, actually. You've got all these candidates. They've all carved out their little – their fiefdom. But you made a point earlier that extending the primary – is going to hurt. It's going to change the race, and it's going to weaken us for the general election. And I, and I, I, I blame this Maureen O'Connor. She's siding with the Democrats, and the Democrats. It's all to their advantage to not accept any of these maps. It's extraordinary, and this the whole thing is ridiculous that she's allowed, and she's a rhino. She's probably tied in with you know Timken or or Dolan or one of them. To extend it because it's, it's deep pockets is going to change this race, and it's too bad because that's not the law. They're changing the law as we speak, and it's going to weaken us in the general. I and, think you uh, give her too much credit, though. I don't think she's a rhino. I think she's a straight-up Democrat. I've talked to a number of people who have followed her career since she went on to the Supreme Court back in, like, oh three, and she's been Chief Justice for all, going on 10 years maybe. Uh, and uh, I talk to a lot of people who say she's not a uh, 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 a rhino. She's a straight up Democrat. She she makes decisions like a Democrat. She obviously is siding with the Democrats and drawing these lines, and thus uh, uh, trying to well turn turn this red state blue. And and the problem with it is that if she's not the only Republican doing this. She's doing this with, essentially with the willing participation and consent of uh, of leadership in the Ohio State House because Huffman and Cup are both a part of the uh, uh, the redistricting commission and they are the ones who are refusing to say you know what we are going to go forward we're going to ignore what uh, Maureen O'Connor says we're going to have our our primaries on time and then we'll see you in court then there will be somebody who challenges it and it will go to court they need to do that for the people of the state who do not want to wait until August to cast their votes in this very important primary. And you know why? 
Because the general election is going to be three months later, and guess what happens? They don't have enough time to build their campaign against Tim Ryan. They need a nominee to come out in in uh, in May on May third, uh, in order to really run this race against Tim Ryan right to make sure that a conservative is in that seat. And they are not doing their jobs. They need to make sure that the Constitution is followed here, which says the redistricting commission draws the lines, not the chief justice of the Supreme Court. Absolutely, that's why we can't allow this because they're changing the law. This is election law. You can't just change the law arbitrarily. DeWine did it with uh, delaying the, the the primary last time, which was against the law. Now they're doing it again. They're, you know, these brokered races. You know, if you if you look at history, you know, Bill Clinton got elected with 19 percent of the eligible voters because of a brokered race with Ross Perot siphoning. We've got five, seven, six candidates for senator. Who 12 percent could win the race? 20 percent could win the race. It's 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 really ridiculous that we're playing with this primary. It's, I completely it's, it's agree. It, it is that it is sad, and I appreciate your thoughts on it, Charlie. Thank you. You know what else is sad? True too. And I told Josh Mandel this, um, you know, off the air when we were done. I don't mind telling you there was nothing here that was off the record or private. <clears throat> but um, I, what else is is sad is is the fact that two good candidates, strong conservative candidates are, are you know, had that little showdown that they did on Friday and have this uh, little uh, negative national attention because it could hurt them um, when it comes time to run against Tim Ryan. If Mike Gibbons wins this, he's going to be smeared by the Democrats as being unfit because of this uh, showdown with, uh, with, with Josh Mandel. If Josh Mandel wins the primary, he's going to be smeared by the Democrats. Both of them will have um, you know, a tough time explaining away their, their actions on the, on the stage on Friday night. So that's why I hated it so much. I don't like to see it when I, when I see good people that I support uh, you know, doing things that are going to harm them or the cause. Uh, that bothers me. And uh, that's the reason I wanted to get uh, uh, Gibbons yesterday and get Mandel today. And tomorrow, by the way, as I played for uh, for um, uh, Josh Mandel today, tomorrow we're going to talk to J.D. Vance, who who took some shots at Josh Mandel, both at the debate on um, uh, debate on Friday after the, the the you know the strange display between Mandel and Gibbons, but then also last night at the televised debate with on Fox News, uh, he he just comes right at Josh Mandel and tells him stop using your military service as the answer to every question. He told him he said you know yeah, yeah. let me play it again. Hold on. Just saw uh, look as the only other person who served his country in uniform. Uh, I enlisted in the United States Marine Corps. My mamaw had six grandchildren. Three of them enlisted in the United States Marine Corps. I think the way you use the U.S. Marine Corps, Josh, is disgraceful. It's not- To provide a tiny bit of context for that, by the way, as it pertains to the applause, uh, I don't know how glorious the commentary was by by uh, uh, J.D. Vance uh, to warrant that kind of applause, but this was a Freedom Works Ohio sponsored debate, and Freedom Works has endorsed J.D. Vance. That's what I understand. 
So there may have just been a very, very pro-Vance crowd there, and uh, what he said about Mandel may not have been, been as popular with a regular crowd, if you will, by, by regular meaning not partisan toward one endorsed candidate. So just kind of keep that in mind. But he did it again on uh, live TV last night as well, uh, talking about uh, Josh Mandel. So if you want to react to that, you can do that too. Uh, Gary is in Berea next. Hi, Gary. You're on the air. Good morning. Go ahead. Hello, Gary. All right. I think Gary fell asleep or Gary is away from the phone. Uh, Got to make sure that you're paying attention when we come to you. Well, uh, we'll Gary tries back. Tries back at 216-901-0945. I want to play this before I do anything else <clears throat> because it's what I was just talking about. I want to play uh, J.D. Vance and his uh, his response to all of this uh, last night. Again, I played the clip for him from Friday in which he basically called out uh, – uh, uh, Josh Mandel for using his military service as a kind of a weapon, as a be-all, end-all answer to everything. But I think this is the clip where uh, J.D. Vance responds, or I'm, I'm sorry, attacks, if you will, or addresses uh, Josh Mandel last night on the, uh, on the live stage here. Let me see if I can cue this up. It happened earlier because what really annoyed me is that, you know, Josh is a former Marine. I myself served in the Marine Corps. I want to pause this here, too, before I give you the rest of this clip from last night. I have to, And I'm going to ask J.D. Vance directly tomorrow. If the goal is to win the race and you're running third, which he is, wouldn't you, wouldn't you think that your sights would be set on the top guy? I mean, I know why Josh Mandel attacked Gibbons so much on Friday night, and I'm not even talking about the the nose-to-nose thing. Uh, According to those who were there, uh, pretty much every question that was asked of Josh, he turned around and found a way to attack Mike Gibbons. He's got to beat the frontrunner. He's got to take down the top guy in the polls. I get it. That's what you do. But J.D. J.D. Vance is going after... Josh here more than Gibbons, which is interesting because, you know, he's got to pass Gibbons to, to take the lead and to win this thing. But he seems to be fixating and focusing on Mandel for some reason because twice in th- three nights, Friday night and uh, and Monday night, uh, or so twice in four nights, I guess, if you want to look at it that way, um, he went after Mandel on his military record and cited his own status as a Marine, uh, giving him the qualifications to do so. But listen. For four years, and I hate when people use the Marine Corps as a political football. I don't know why you use the Marine Corps every single time you're attacked, Josh. It's kind of ridiculous. Let's talk about the issues. So on the issue of energy. Okay, stop it there. So that's twice he focused his, his attacks on uh, Josh Mandel and not Mike Gibbons. So I don't know exactly what J.D. Vance's game is, but, you know, he's... And the really interesting part about that, too, if I want to be fully consistent about, you know, dare I say hypocrisy, he's accusing Mandel of using, you know, his status as a Marine as the backdrop for every question, and in doing so, he stated that he is a Marine. You follow what I'm saying? In other words, what J.D. is doing, and I'll ask him about this. This is all open and public tomorrow. He'll be on the program tomorrow. Um, he's, he's starting each of his comments with, I was a Marine. I served four years in the Marine Corps, and I've got family uh, who are in the service as well. So in other words, here's my bona fides as it pertains to uh, military service, as I now criticize another guy for expressing his own bona fides about military service so is it hypocritical i don't know i guess it depends on how you look at it but kind of 
I'm going to ask J.D. about that. Uh, and maybe he feels like he's the only one who can uh, condemn Mandel because he is the only other military veteran on the stage. But you would think he would focus his attention on Gibbons if he wants to win this thing and not finish second. It's kind of like what I've been saying about the Ohio uh, governor's race. Joe Plystone seems to be more infatuated with Jim Renacci and, and, and a vote from 2016 when he was in the Senate that he is, I think, very directly mischaracterized. He's more concerned with beating the second-place guy and finishing second than beating Mike DeWine. Uh, you know, his one-on-one confrontation at the Ohio Beef Expo notwithstanding. But it is weird. Aren't you playing to win? You, you want to go after the top guy, not the guy that's sitting in second place. All right, I'm going to go back to it. This is uh, Joe in Parma. Hey, Joe, you're on the air. Go ahead, sir. Hey, Bob. Um, I saw three really strong candidates up there last night, and I saw two really weak ones. One was even, um, I would say, liberal, in my opinion. And um, I think no matter who wins, I think the Democrats are going to come after them with whatever they got. And it doesn't matter. They're going to pick something, even if they don't have... Uh, ammunition from last night's debate or or that confrontation. I think they'll pick something else. So I think this debate actually... Yeah, you're right about that. I mean, obviously, they're going to run a campaign that not only promotes Tim Ryan, he's going to be their guy. They're going to run a campaign that promotes Tim Ryan, but yes, that is going to bash whatever the the conservative or the Republican nominee uh, is, and and you're right about that. I just don't want to give them ammunition, particularly... Uh, you know, with two of the strongest conservatives in that race and in that field attacking one another, I don't want to give them any ammunition to use against them. Then they're, cause like you said, they're already going to come up with everything they can. But I, 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 yep. I don't, I don't want to help them along. I guess is my point. No, you, good point. And I would ask JD Vance tomorrow. Um, I haven't heard anything about him on uh, pro life, so that's a interesting question. Even though um, uh. Josh was the one to bring that up, so that that could be a good point to bring up to see what he says. That's a great idea. It's a great it's a great issue, and and it was Josh was right by the way when he said uh, you know he was really surprised that nobody talked about the abortion issue. This is supposed to be the year in which Roe versus Wade could be struck down and uh, the issue of abortion returned to the states. Uh, it's everybody knows it. Everybody's talking about it. The six three majority in the court is going to stand, um, and nobody talked about it. It wasn't a question, uh, and and it's one of the leading questions on social slash, uh, you know, cultural issues outside of you know e- economics and war. It's one of the biggest issues for conservatives, and nobody asked about it. So um, you're yeah, right. It's a and great in point. A general, yeah, in a general, you can expect maybe not to bring that up, and in the primary, definitely. I think that's a. Uh, hot topic. Well, sure. particularly among conservatives or, or Republicans, yes, because I, I mean, if you want to win as a conservative, you have to be pro-life, or at least you have to state it. Now, I think Josh did a good job of framing it. Are you, uh, uh, you know, are you are you having your arm twisted to say yes, I'm pro-life, or are you a champion out there and being vociferous about it? Uh, I think that's a very fair question. And in a debate among primary uh, conservative primary candidates, yeah, you doggone well better believe that should have been asked. And uh, since they didn't, uh, I like your idea, and I'll make sure to ask JD that tomorrow. All right, thank you. All right, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Yeah, I, I don't. I mean, I understand too. There were a lot of other issues that didn't get covered. Did they talk last night and get a question about the southern uh, southern border? Maybe they did, not I missed it. Maybe I zoned out. But the southern border and the immigration issue. They talked about Ukraine for a while. They talked about gas prices and energy for a while. They talked about personal questions to each individual about certain things. I don't know. They, they don't have time in an hour long debate to get everything in. But I know that the pro-life movement in America is strong, and I know that uh, Josh recognized that and closed with it, which was good on him. All right, quick time out. Right back with more calls after this.
back bigger bigger and better and stronger always right with bob france sometimes they say huge on am 1420 really large the answer you know, I haven't done this for a while, but listening to that rejoiner there, it kind of reminds me of... Random Talking Trump Doll! Alright, what do you have to say today, Random Talking Trump, Trump Doll? I don't frankly have time for total political correctness, and this country doesn't have time either. You can check out Random Talking Trump Doll and everything that he says, by the way, on the website, alwayswrite.us. I got a nice picture of him there. He's standing proudly, uh, and, uh, and he's ready to speak. As a matter of fact, push the button. You can hear him speak online at alwayswrite.us. I want to go to Strongsville now and Norm the Navy Man on AM 1420, The Answer. Hey, Norm, good morning, sir. You know, J.D. Vance's criticism of uh, Josh Mandel using his Marine Corps thing yeah. would be something... Uh, nice if J.D. Vance was a combat veteran, but for four years, J.D. Vance manned a public affairs desk. So I think Josh Mandel had two tours of duty in Iraq. J.D. Vance had a tour of duty behind the public affairs desk for four years, Bob. So do you know, do you, do you know, because I don't know this, and I don't know if you do, what years J.D. was in, and was there a war zone to be deployed to in the four years he was in? Because I literally don't know. No, I don't know the years, but I just Googled it, and he was in the Marine Corps for four years, and it said that he was a public affairs specialist for his entire time. Well, you know what you just did? You gave me another question to ask him tomorrow, because like I said, he's he's um, he's using his own Marine Corps veteran status to say, now I can question another Marine over here. So I am kind of <laughs> curious as to what his, uh, you know, what his, um, you know, experience was. But anyway, go ahead. And I find it interesting because I've known Josh Mandel from the first time he ran for the Secretary of uh, Treasury Office in Ohio, and very rarely did he come out and beat his chest and said, I'm a Marine Corps veteran. I fought two tours in Iraq. Yes, during the campaign now for Senate, he has referred to himself as a fighter, and he is a fighter, okay? I mean, he gave a beautiful example of that last night, that he fought. He was the only one on the debate stage that said the 2020 election was a fraud and that uh, President Trump was basically cheated out of it. The other four just stood there like mooks. Uh, he was the only one that addressed the pro-life issue and said, hey, uh, interesting that the one topic that uh, Fox 8 never bothered asking was about abortion. So are the other four really pro-life? Is uh, Mr. Gibbons pro-life or is he? Mr. Gibbons says that he's a people person. Well, those are weasel words as far as this pro-lifer is concerned. No, I, I had him on. I had him on uh, when that issue came up, like a month ago or something like that. Um, when OVV put out put out a no, it wasn't OVV. It was um, it was the pastors, the the group of pastors or something like that who questioned uh, questioned that. And he uh, he did a massive massive in depth interview about his pro-life. I, I suspect they all are norm on that stage yeah. to the level of Josh where they want to make it, you know, I want, even if I'm not asked the question about it, I'm going to use some of my time talking about it. Maybe, maybe not because yeah. only Josh did that. But, uh, but I, I wouldn't question the pro-life uh, uh, credentials of any of them unless I had a reason to. Well, my, my basic call on this was Josh Mandel won that debate hands down. I, you know, and not because I'm for him, not because I volunteered for his campaign, which I'm very happy to do so, 
uh, along with several other veterans. But I believe he's got the moxie to stand up to the types of people that he's going to encounter in the United States Senate. The Democrat left, all those loons. And as, as far as I, I noticed what interesting and also with kind of a laugh that out of the five candidates, that Matt Dolan was the only one that Trump said he wouldn't support. So I, <laughs> well, he and, was also the only one. He was also the only one who refused, uh, uh, or excuse me, who raised his hand uh, and when when asked uh, who thinks that we should move on from the the election being stolen narrative. He was the only one who said yeah. yes. Let's move on. That's not a thing. It's not important. So, uh, is it any surprise that President Trump would never consider him? <laughs> yeah. Well, bottom line, though, Bob, whomever the Republicans put up has my vote. There Same is here. no way in God's green earth that Tim Ryan is ever, ever going to see the well of the United States Senate unless he's there on a tour from his position in Congress because he has got to be the worst. He's afraid to even debate an unknown young black lady uh, who debated Josh, by the way, I think two or three times. And uh, there won't be any debates between Josh Mandel or Mike Gibbons or whomever the uh, Republican uh, Senate nominee is for us because Tim Ryan is a coward and he won't debate. I Period. think he'll get dragged into that, uh, Norm. He won't debate this other uh, uh, challenger because he knows he doesn't have to. He's going to be the nominee and he why waste his time and potentially put himself in a bad place. But in a race against a Republican nominee, uh, for a seat that is already Republican in a state that went for Trump by eight points just uh, in in 2020, Ryan is going to have to debate the Republican and take bites out of him, or else he has no chance. He's got to know that. Well, he may know that, but I, I, I will be surprised if he debates Josh or Mike Gibbons or whomever the nominee is. And. Well, uh, Let's just hope we get a primary. Let's just hope we get a primary so we can get actually get into that general election campaign because right maybe now we, we don't even know if we're going to have it. Well, maybe we can get the primary if we impeach that uh, witch that's masquerading as a Republican on the Ohio Supreme Court. I won't call her a witch, but I agree with your sentiment. We do need to get her off of there because she is obviously getting in the way of the will of the of the people of the state of Ohio. She's about as no, much got- of a Republican. <laughs> She's about as much as a Republican as Biden, Bob. Have a great day. Thank God you, Norm. Bless. I'll see you tomorrow night, right? You're going to be there at the event in uh, in Strongsville? All right. Um, Norm is gone, and that's great. I'm, he probably will be. If you don't know about the event in Strongsville tomorrow night, uh, I will tell you about it after this. When the left's propaganda is the biggest threat to your health, get your booster of common sense. And keep yourself sane. Always right with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. Hey, good morning, Bob. So I'm leaning towards Josh Mandel. I think he, he has you know, some experience. He was our state treasurer, um, like his military background. Also, maybe a little torn between Mike Gibbons. Um, I guess... I don't know if it maybe it just makes more sense to go with who's who's leading right now. Um, so I'm kind of torn between the two. Like them both, I think my my first gut instinct would go with Josh Mandel. Um, but yeah, that's that's where I'm at with that. So um, thank you for your time. Have a great day. All right, that was Derek in Richfield leaving a message for us at AlwaysRight.us. Uh, this one came from Tommy in uh, looks like Brooklyn. 
two grown men fighting on stage face to face, one in their 60s. That's a sad state of affairs for the Republican Party. Sadly, we're going to lose the Democrats in this one. If they can't get it together and Mandel trying to act like Trump when he's not Trump, not a good future for us. I'm getting messages also into um, uh, the always right 1420 at yahoo.com email inbox. I don't normally read these, but since they are point uh, on point with what we're talking about this morning, uh, this one comes from, where's the name? Where's the name? This one comes from, uh, well, I can't find a signature on it. I'm sorry, so they didn't put their name on it. But what they wrote is, hey, Bob, I hope you do not forget what Josh did. That is so revealing of his character. He has firm beliefs, but he's a hothead. Not sure he can help us that are true conservatives. We conservatives need someone with integrity and professionalism in the Senate in Washington. So that is a note from another listener on the uh, in the uh, email inbox. So there's a lot of ways for you to get us. You can send an email if you wish to always write 1420. That's where I want you to send the flags, by the way. Always write 1420 at yahoo.com. Uh, but the best way to do it, again, if you're not calling live, is to leave a message via voice message on alwayswrite.us sound off button and you can sound off in that or anything else joanne is in twinsburg next hi joanne you're on the air morning bob good morning watched the whole thing last night definitely know who i don't like um but i do want to make a point you know you're talking about jd vance bringing up the fact that he's a marine not crazy about jd vance don't get me wrong but he doesn't bring it up with every question he brought it up last night in the context of i am too but you don't see me using it for every single answer. I mean, you're, that, you're right. You you're right. You know, he did. I mean, but but, and, but but you understand what I was saying, though. But but sure. the literal criticism was, why do you keep bringing up being a Marine as the pretext of every but, answer and then saying it himself? Now I'm going to criticize you by being a Marine. Every single answer has to do with I was a Marine. And that's not that's not right. Yeah. No, I understand I mean, your criticism. Uh, Mike Gibbons said the same thing. About, I mean. Kim yeah. Kim and Dolan should just drop out now as far as I'm concerned. They're both ridiculous. I mean, I'm glad to see somebody called Dolan out about the Guardians who gave up twenty five runs yesterday. That was that <laughs> was mean, JD that was J D by the way, and it was yeah. a good line. It was a really yeah. good line, yeah. It was. <laughs> I mean, he lost me when you talked to him and he said that about how he had <laughs> to acquiesce to the family. I thought, Oh my god, if you can't even stand up to your own family, <laughs> yeah, who are you no. gonna stand up to? Totally I mean, that's agree. my feeling about him. But like I said, i got to be fair to J.D. Vance, who I'm not crazy about either. Well, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this about JD too, Joanne. Um, I'm not. You know, I, I'm obviously not making an endorsement here. I right. said before there are some people I really like in this race. Some I like a little bit, and some I like a lot less. But JD is a very good debater. He was very smooth on that stage last night. Does that mean you have to be a good debater to be the best candidate? No, I'm not saying that. But he is a good debater. I guarantee you, he opened a lot of eyes yesterday. And no, people but probably Josh Mandel he... can't go chest to chest with Mitch McConnell or <laughs> Lindsey Graham because he feels like he's been. You know, mistreated. Yeah, you know, he well, kind of he reminds me of the little, the smallest kid on the playground who talked the biggest. You know, yeah. and, and got himself in trouble. Well, yeah, he has. He ha- and thank and I got to go here, Joanne. Thanks for the call. Um, he has he has created some 
criticism with that. Uh, uh, Gibbon said it. Obviously, Vance said it. You're saying it. I have people texting me saying, you know, Josh has got to stop talking about being Marine when the answer isn't about military. Or, excuse me, the question isn't about military if the question is about the economy or something else. That's kind of what people have said. Now, that's up to Josh to decide how he wants to play that. He may decide being a Marine is the proudest thing he's ever done, and that's his calling card. And if that's how he wants to run, then he's got to see if it works for him. I'm not going to condemn it. Uh, but I understand, and I'll listen to the criticisms, and hopefully he's listening to them, too, and deciding what's the best course for him. Hey, by the way, I mentioned I wanted to get this out there, so let me get this out there. Tomorrow night in Strongsville, the Save Our Schools uh, Town Hall Forum. I will be moderating an event that will feature Peter Kersenow from the Civil Rights Commission, John Stover from Ohio Value Voters, and Jim Renacci, former congressman, now gubernatorial candidate. So I want you to be there. Uh, go ahead and go to the Strongsville GOP webpage uh, or Strongsville GOP Facebook page. Uh, lots of opportunities to register for that event. Tomorrow night, 630 in Strongsville, myself, Kersenow, Stover, and Renacci in a town hall forum, Save Our School, Stopping the Indoctrination of Our Enjoy. Children. Hope to see you there, and I know I'll talk to you tomorrow morning. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.